Fucking g'day, mate. Welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan, and uh, with me, as always, to make up for my proficient and professional swearing is Sarah. Hello, Daniel. So I'm uh, thinking of uh, dubbing tonight's episode of the podcast, or today, depending on when you're listening. Uh, thanks for getting up early to join us at this ridiculous hour. Ah, it's a podcast to listen to whatever they want. It's so funny. Um, uh, the Fuck You, Christian Prudhomme episode. But we might change the title before we get to the end. Who knows? But uh, Excellent. Just wanted to get that out there. How are you doing anyway, Sarah? I'm very good. I'm, I'm much better since you actually broke your promise of a couple of casts uh, earlier about getting your proper opening. I didn't break it. I finally kept it. That's completely a different thing. It's precisely the opposite of what you said, actually. Not surprising that we're, once again, poles apart. <laughs> Anyway, before we get into the reasons, uh, many and varied, as to why I feel like I may wish to um, have terse and short and sharp words with Mr. Prudhomme, uh, how about we, we tackle the week's racing and then move on to yes. all the wonderful things that have angered us up during the week? Angered? I've got so many good things. I do have two. One, I think I've got one thing that angered me, one thing that makes me laugh, and a lot of stuff that's made me confused this week, so, yes. So pretty, um, pretty much par for the course. <laughs> yeah, um, so the racing, I'm going to rush through it. You know that last week there were 100, 100 road races? Yes. This week there have been two that I want to talk about. One was Spargassen Giro. This is a German race. It didn't rain. Did I mean, you just nearly call it the Spaghetti Giro? You, no, you... Spargassen. Spargassen Giro Bochum in Bochum in okay. Germany. All right. Spaghetti Giro. <laughs> you know spaghetti's used to kind of make, make the roots for things like omelette noise bad. It's not named after races. I am going to launch another race next year because, as we've discussed previously, all you have to do is, like, make up a name um, called the Spaghetti Giro just to be able to throw spaghetti in your face, Connolly. <laughs> anyway, Sparkassen Giro, it had been off the calendar as a UCI race, but it's back on. Hooray, hooray. Um, I always remember it from watching watching clips on video and watching um, photos where it was always, always, always pouring with rain, like completely pouring and sitting down. But this year it wasn't raining. Um, it, it's a sprinting race. It's a tough sprinting race in Germany. And it was won in a Sengers ladies team uh, one two with Christine Majerus, the Luxembourg national champion, and Michael Polspol from Belgium coming first and second, with Kirsten Veld winning the bunch sprint for third. I think what happened is the sprinters accidentally let Majerus and Polspol go down the road. Oops. But it's also notable because Chloe Hosking was in it racing for high tech. Chloe's back after Chloe. her break. Um, yeah, the other thing that's going on at the moment is so. We'll come on to this later, but there aren't. Next week starts the Route de France, which is a eight stage, an eight day race. Hooray for long races! Um, but this week there aren't that many that many UCI registered races. So mm. they've had like yesterday the Drive and Kai, which is a, a crit. They've been having a lots of Dutch crits because you know it's Dutch crit season. What's the and difference between Bal What's the difference between a Dutch crit and a regular crit? Dutch crits are harder. Uh, because of all the traffic furniture, because why? Because they're raced in the Netherlands. Right, so it's it's just generally assumed that the wind and the the you know uh, underwater nature of those races makes them more difficult. And the field. And the, so, okay, oh, so right, when yes. there's 
So, so when they're crits in Britain, crits in Britain are good and great racing, you know, exciting racing to watch. But it's 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 dissing no one to say that the field isn't as good as a Dutch crit. Okay. So yes, yeah, so when you have, and this one was won by Valentina Scandalara with Emma Johansson in second and Vera Kuwaduda in third. Um, yeah, it's it's. Scandalara's been on a great little run lately, hasn't she? She has. I think she's one of those riders who gets better when they're riding Grand Tours, who get better when they're riding Tours. Yep, yep. So, so just got those race days in the legs and making the most of it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this time last year, I mean, this time last year, it was she, she was sick in the Giro. And it's lovely because she did really well in the Giro. She attacked and attacked. But we had that conversation where she said that, you know, she wants to start attacking from the front. And then she went to Tullingen. First time she'd ever raced Tullingen Rundfart. Uh, she was on the podium. I think she came second, second and third, maybe third twice. And then she won a stage. So I'm super happy for her. I, I've said this before. Valet's a really friendly, happy, passionate rider really just real kind of attacking queen little crazy horse so yeah hurrah but the big thing this weekend the big racing this weekend has been off the road and apologies if road cycling is your only love bear with me i got very very excited it was the bmx world championships and the val nord round of the mountain bike world cup and Sarah is uh, a, a new, well, not new anymore, really, but recent convert to both of these forms of the cycling disciplines, and um, and a passionate fan we all know Sarah to be. Well, I, I mean, I got into cycling through track cycling, mm-hmm. and I love track cycling. I, it's, and one of the things I love about it is the fast and furious nature of it. I do have a slightly short attention span, it's true, but there's so much adrenaline in those races. I mean. When you watch the BMX World Champs, and it's like, basically, it's a race. You start off at the top of the ramp. It's pretty much a race to the bottom of the ramp because massive amounts of crashes taking it, taking people out. But even though my favorite, one of my favorite riders, uh, British, Shanae's Reed, wasn't there because she's injured, it was won by Australian Caroline Buchanan. Exactly. Seabuck, yeah. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, no, yeah, uh, Carrot Buchanan, she's won the BMX time trial a load of times, but she mm. said she'd never even actually got to the, the elite, um, you know, the elite BMX world champs before. The I don't know what I don't know how you r- take away the BMX race from the time trial, so apologies if I'm getting my uh, descriptions wrong. But, yeah, I mean, I think one of the reason, things about the BMX is that they're, they're completely insane. They tend to completely do that thing of go hard and go, you know, go hard and win or crash out and die trying. Yeah, it's 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 very much a uh, uh, you know one speed the whole way kind of a thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. And for for people who've been listening for a while, they'll remember us talking about uh, Caroline at the Olympic Games last year, uh, where she was one of the hot favourites to to take out medals, and um, and unfortunately didn't quite uh, win at in the in the final. So it's kind of cool to see her back up this year with uh, with the world championship. Well yeah. done. And I loved I loved her. Um... I loved her. She has a quote afterwards. You've got to be a bit of a mongrel when it comes to the race to the final. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good, old, good old Aussie mongrel. We love it. Buchanan's a bit of a nutter because this is one of four, one of three world championships she's planning to race this year. She's planning to race the four cross and the downhill world championships. 
Well, you know, I mean, if, if there's one thing that, that Voss has taught us, is that you can never have too many rainbows. Chase the rainbow. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So it was Caroline Buchanan in first place, Lauren Reynolds, an Aussie, in second place, and um, Val- and Manon Valentino from France in the third place. And, yeah, it was a really exciting race. Very, very fast as well. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure, I don't really want to commit to it, the video of the final, repeated two times, and with an interview of Car- with Caroline, takes about eight minutes. So commit eight minutes of your life, people. Go on our website, pro-cycling.com. <laughs> or just watch the race once for, like, three minutes. It's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you want to see her interviewed at the end because she's adorable. It's true, but you know, I'm just saying, time poor and all that sort of shit. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, and so anyway. then moving on from from BMX World Championships, there was also a bit of uh, World Cup action in the mountain bike. Yeah, there was. They were in Val Nord in Andorra. 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 Exactly. And was was <laughs> was the world's most famous bike racer there by any chance? The world's most famous bike race at Ms. Mariana Voss was there. Yes, yes, indeed. But I mean, it's brilliant. It's such a, I mean, one of the th- reasons I fell in love with mountain biking, I've said this before, and I doubt I'll say it again, is how easy it is to get involved in, to, to fall in love with it. So there's a combination of Red Bull Bike and Dirt.Impora.com, which kind of basically got me hooked because the photography from mountain biking is spectacular. And the the videos are re- that Red Bull provide amazing commentary. So, three races for women. There's the Eliminator. Um, I still haven't quite got my head around the Eliminator mountain bike, it's, but I love it. It seems like a mix between cyclo- cyclocross and mountain bike. You ride a short course um, with, uh, I think it's four riders, and the top, you know, top ones go through in heat, the top ones go through, everyone else is eliminated, and then they have the final, and yeah, it just seems brilliantly mad like I, I i approve of the uh eliminator and that was won by katrin sternerman um swiss rider from uh from sabine spitz high bike but the top five riders were either swiss or swedish really so the moral of this story is you can only win the eliminator if your country name begins with sw okay that seems or SU in the native language. That, that seems like a, a harsh rule, but I guess, you know, as uh, it makes sense given how arbitrary UCI rules are in general. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Three, three Swiss and two Swedes in the top five. Prob- probably explains okay. why not many Australians bother riding the Eliminator, I guess. Uh, just, just yeah, wrong end of the alphabet. Yeah, mm. awkward. Mm. Anyway, mm-hmm. yes, so was that it? Uh, then there was the cross-country race, and this one did have Ms. Mariana Voss in it. Excellent. But, and she won the um, race by how much? You know what? She didn't even come in the top 20. No, that does that can't be right. That can't be yeah. right. What? No, yeah. I, I, I get it. You're doing a yeah. joke because there are only like yeah. 15 riders in the race. I get it. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. 23rd. Now, I'm... I, I mean... Hang on. Okay. 23rd, though, but no... My head hurts. No, but you know, this is a good thing, Dan. I, I, I'm, you know what? I think if Marianne, in all seriousness, if Marianna had come from road and track and cyclocross and, and everything else and dominated the fuck out of mountain biking in her first season, I think it would have been really bad for the sport. 
Well, see, I, no, I have to disagree because I think, like most fans of cycling-related sports, I am waiting for Mariana to be finished with all of these lesser forms and get to the bike ballet, which is all any of us really want to see. <laughs> no, I genuinely think it's. I genuinely think it's good. I mean, she did. She did much, but in that she's. This is her second World Cup she rode this year, and she um, did. I think she was eleventh. Or yeah, from 13th. memory, it was it was somewhere around that mark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but she's just ridden the Giro Rosa, mm. and she said after the Giro Rosa that she'd been kind of fixing her training on mountain bike a bit too, you know, too, and that's why she rather than rather than climbing, and she was happy with that decision. And but I think it must be very hard for her to kind of flip between disciplines. But I think it sends a really strong message that these riders, Voss is the best rider in the world. Yeah, she's a former junior national mountain bike champion. She rides cyclocross. She's the best cyclocross rider, head and shoulders, in the world. And yet, it's still damn hard for her to swap disciplines. Yep, yep, yeah. And that's good. That's really good for the sport. It's great. I mean, I've got to say, I'm not sure I'd have watched the you know the cross country race in its entirety without without Voss. She's bringing fans, and I love that. And I love watching new sports. But yeah. So Voss was 23rd. Up top, it was Sabine Spitz. Uh, Sabine oh, yes. Spitz, um, who her team, Sabine Spitz High Bike. Someone on my Tumblr said, hey, what? She names the team after herself. Yeah, because she set up the team. And she is, you know, developing young riders. And I think that's super cool. Um, Spitz is a veteran of the cross-country scene. She's the current Olympic champion. And... Um, Oh, is she? No, she's a 2008 Olympic champion. Sorry, sorry. Um, and she actually started off the season with a with with shoulder shoulder surgery. So this was very very triumphant, and I think it was her first World Cup win for something like seven years or oh, something. Oh wow! Okay, well, well done, yeah. Sabine. Yeah. Uh, in second place was Katerina Nash, who's mm-hmm. a uh, who who who's who's better known as a cyclocross rider. And in third place, Eva Lechner from um, Italy. And they they'd had those they'd had those three. And Gunrita Dahlflesher from Norway had been all out in the front. Katerina Nash kept attacking on the ascents and the downhills, <laughs> but then catching her. It was very exciting to watch. It, it's so unusual it's, to hear of women cyclists liking to attack. I, it's I, just, know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Sorry, are we done with the, the cross-country race? Because I, I did have a, a question for you. Oh, go on, what's the question? Well, I wanted to mention Mariana Voss's tweet. Oh, okay, well then let's talk about that. Mariana Voss's because, tweet. Because after the race, Voss had a tweet that said, "Well, that was crap, um, but but I'm really happy. But I'm, but I'm looking at my mountain bikes. You know, my mountain biking as a whole. I'm really happy I did made this experiment, and I thought that was so so super Voss. She was not, you know, she's got a really big audience. She's admitting it was crap. She's not making up an excuse. Mm. She's just stating how she feels about it." But in typical Voss style, even when she's come off the bike and is disappointed, she's finding an upside in it. Yeah. And mm. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love. I love that she started mountain biking this year to push herself and to see what was happening to keep herself interested. And I love how she always talk. You know, she always from how she's talking, she's always trying to improve and push herself and learn and grow. And 
you know, she's tried things before that haven't worked, and she's very, very honest about them not working. Yeah. And and she doesn't kind of dismiss them or think they're bad. She's just... I, I want to be like that. Mm. I want to be mm. always trying to grow and always seeing the good things in things, you know? Well, that's, that's, I just... Yep. I think she's amazing. And the, she does it publicly, too, because she doesn't have to say things like that. Mm. But she lets us into her life a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I really, I think that honesty is fantastic. But as you say, balanced with, you know, her her choosing to take the the positive out of it. Um, and and following on from that example, when is your first uh, cross country mountain bike race? Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm banned from cross country bike. You know I'm banned from mountain bike. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it didn't count if you went cross country instead of you know downhill. You banned, have you seen? I, I, banned you 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 I, I banned you from downhill. I banned you from downhill. Speaking of I, downhill, um, was it another was it another Atherton whitewash on the downhill? It oh my god, Dan, the downhill was so beautiful. Um, I think last time they had a World Cup here, I think it was in two thousand and eight. G and Rachel Atherton, who are siblings, won the men's and women's races, and it's been a really interesting season so far because Rach and G Atherton uh, both won the first two rounds of the downhill World Cup this year. Uh-huh. And they did it launching the GT Fury, which is a brand new bike from GT. Uh, they ride for GT Factory Racing. And, yeah, they basically launched it at the Fort William World Cup, won on it, both of them, <laughs> went to Val de Soleil in Italy, won on the GT Fury, both of them. So, you know, they've kind of set the bar really high. Last year, Rach won all but one of the World Cups that she entered. Um, she, she didn't win... Uh, Fort William last year, but she got that this year. So yeah, so it's going to be very, very exciting. But Rach didn't qualify fastest. Really? Mm. Um, in downhill, they basically uh, start. You know, your start order is is by your. They have. They have. What I find really fascinating about downhill, right, is you get to see the race not just when they race because it's very, very fast, but also the days leading up to it are very well documented. Mm. So, because they, they basically so, do qualifying times, don't they? Yeah. Well, well, what happens is they get to the track and they've been and technically, because this is a new track, some riders had ridden it before, but no one was supposed to have done. But you know, some riders had. And you you are all arrive on the same day, and you have a day where you walk the track, where you do track walks, where all the riders and teams are basically walking down it and getting their ideas. Then you have a couple of days of practice runs. And then you have qualifying, and then you have the finals. And what I found find really, really fascinating from how this is documented is you get to see how complicated downhill actually is. You know, on the one hand, I think it's, you know, you just point your bike downhill and try not to crash into trees. But there was a video with, um, there was a video of Rach Atherton's track walk on Red Bull TV where she was talking about how, you know, they, they, they go down GoProing it. So they, they, they then, once they get off, they're looking at it, they're watching their lines, they're learning the track. And you can see in all the videos, they always have uh, people who are visualizing the track in their head because it's only like, it's only like we're, we're talking tiny, tiny amounts of time to get down these tracks. You know, they've got people kind of, you know, kind of, swooping and visualizing with their hands to see how they're going to race mm. very interesting it's really it's it's all about technique and it's just just 
you know, you can lose people who lose their, you know, if you get your line wrong, you're fucked. But mm. you know, the, the man who won, Remy Tyrion, was taking these incredible lines that no one else had. Just, oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I'd be really interested to hear more from, from one of these writers, too, about how... Um, like when's the optimal time to ride then? Like you've done your you've done your recce, you've ridden the the course, you've got your video, you've done your visualizations and stuff. But you know, surely the track is churned to shit by the end of the day. So if you've qualified best, you're arguably getting the choppiest, worst track. Well, I don't know though because I mean it depends on the conditions. Because if it's dusty, for example, mm. having it having the track packed down. So the dust is, you know, the dust is packed down, the kind of little bit yep, surface yep. bits of rocks are off it is a good thing. I mean, I'm assuming, I'm making the assumption that it's best to ride last because that's why they put the best people, you know, the best qualifiers last. Unless that's just when they assume they'll have the largest viewing audience. I don't think so because it's only just recently being, you know, it's only because of Red Bull, because Red Bull show Look, the full thing. There's only one way to settle this. We have to get Rach Atherton into the studio to argue it out with us. <laughs> Dear Rach, we don't know nothing about your sport. Can you tell us about it? Lovely kisses, Sarah. Yeah, yeah um, and we'll tell you why you're wrong. Yes. Well, it was really interesting because, because I think they also get, I think it's easier, it seems easier to ride in the ruts because they're also, um, if anyone, honestly, as you can tell, Dan and I know nothing. If you're listening and going, oh, holy shit, Dan and Sarah, you know nothing. Shut the fuck up. Um, get in touch with us at prowomenscycling at gmail.com. Also, or leave a quiet down. You, also, you should quiet down. You're scaring the rest of the passengers on the bus. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think, I think, I think from what they're saying that some of the ruts are helpful. You know, it's, it's helpful mm. to be in the ruts if the ruts are taking the line that you want them to. So, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Yes. Manon Carpenter, who's a young Welsh, uh, I think she's only just 21, writer for Madison Saracen. Manon Carpenter had qualified fastest. Rach second. Uh, Emmeline Rago, the 2009 and 2011, I could be getting my years wrong, world champ. Qualified third fastest. They show the top ten women and the top ten men. Sorry, top ten women and the top seventeen men on the Red Bull cast, and it's got honestly <laughs> Rob Warner, who's a former British pro, uh, and he uh, he gets he makes me look slightly apathetic. Slightly. Very. Wow. Okay. Okay. He's. Slightly enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm struggling to like, yeah. I, it doesn't compute that, that that I don't believe that such a thing is possible. But okay. Yeah, they get and both of them, uh, Richard Cunningham and, and and Rob Warner, they get very, very, very excited. Very. Very. But it's very useful as well because they've both ridden the insights they have. They know, and they know the riders inside out. It's lovely. Anyway, very twisty course. And the 10th rider, Florian Pujan, started off. And the rider who'd started a minute before her must have crashed because she got held up by another rider in front of her. And I was just like imagining the, the yelling, get the fuck out of my way, you fucking bitch. But, you know, it's very, very narrow, twisting courses. But Pujan's time remained the fastest until Atherton set off. Uh-huh. And Atherton 
she looks so beautiful on the bike. It's like it's it's she's very, she's got a very photogenic look anyway. She's kind of riding through this this woody woody stuff with um in her bright yellow and black top. So she's very noticeable. She has this amazing long blonde hair that kind of streams out behind her, and she's uh she's she's just. She looks like she's floating. Her body looks like it's floating over the bike. Well, her bike's kind of going down, but she just has this amazing style. And she rocked it 11 seconds faster than Pujan, who'd beaten everyone so far. Holy shit, wow. And just gorgeous, gorgeous racing. And this is only, you know, it's a four-minute run. Mm, mm. But 11 seconds is, yeah, that's, wow. And then Manon Carpenter started, and, and so so Rach is definitely in the first or second. Manon Carpenter starts, and Carpenter at the top, her she just took a slight um, a slight mistaken line on one corner, and kind of you know had to unclip her foot, and get, you know just you could see the back wheel kind of kind of you know drifting out, and she pulled it back, and she ended just one and a half seconds slower than Rachel. And it's, I mean, it's, it's wow. really interesting. There isn't the depth. There isn't, there's some really amazing talent in downhill, but, you know, it's still a developing sport for women. And there hasn't been the, the you know, and, and they're learning and growing and pushing. It's a really exciting time to watch it. And, you know, Rachel Atherton talks about Manon. Manon. You know, she, they, they, they ride, they live in a similar part of the world. They ride on similar, you know, ride on the same courses. And she always talks about Manon as the, as the, as the person she's most scared of. Yep. And it's just, it's a very exciting time to see it because you can see a really big difference between the least good women, you know, the, the well, least good in the top 10, the least good women and the best. Mm. And then you can see a difference in the women and the men, but you can see how fast it's all changing. It's very, very exciting. Um, so, yeah, Rach, Manon, um, Pom Pom, Florian Pujan in third. So you enjoyed you enjoyed Val Nord, is what you're trying to I say. I did, and I've got to say, I've watched the video, well, I've watched Rachel's run, and Manon and Florian and Emmeline Regot, who I really love watching ride. I've watched their rides a couple of times, yes. Come on, tell the truth. It's, it, is it more than five? Maybe. Is it more than ten? No, not more than ten. Okay. Um, so, there you have it, folks. Somewhere between five and ten times. Feel free to set a new record and tell us about it in the comments uh, once we've got this posted. Um, yeah. Speaking of speaking of dubious honours, <laughs> well, I, I had a good segue there actually. Oh, okay. Because what I wanted to mention was in all of the BMX, in all of the Mountain Bike World Cup, they really respected that. You know, they didn't shy away from the fact that you know the, the depth in the women's field is less good than the depth, in, you know, less strong than depth in the men's field. But they were all really excited. Lots to tell us about the women. Very excited about the women's riding. Presented women's riding as as you know as as well women riders as equal to the men riders. Mm. You know, and I was very interested in that because we come to a man who thinks the complete opposite. Well, I, I did enjoy, I don't know about you, but, you know, like, I, there are times when I'm struck by a very dark and cynical turn of mind. And, um, for example, on a, on a day when, when uh, Christian Prudhomme is uh, quoted in the British press uh, responding to, now forgive me, I, I, I have to look up the name of this politician, uh, Harriet, Harriet Harman, Harman, who is the deputy leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> 
in the UK who had written a letter supporting the um, the idea of a women's race uh, associated with the Tour de France um, off the back of the, the effort that we've talked about previously related to the petition to the ASO. And basically, uh, Mr. Prudhomme has... Um, well, I mean, I'm paraphrasing significantly, but he's criticised the lady and basically called her an uppity woman who should learn to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> he has. He's chastised her for being an uppity woman. I mean, honestly, that's that's basically what he's done. <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is, Harriet Harman gets a lot of... Um, she, she used to be a minister in... Um, in the Labour Party, my friend used to babysit for her kids in South East London. There's my, there's, and lived next door to her um, back in the day. Um, so practically BFFs. She's, she's always so. been a feminist. She's always been an outspoken feminist. And she gets an incredible amount of flack from the right-wing press. So there is something quite funny about the Telegraph because they love cycling and kind of on Harmon's side. <laughs> <laughs> the Telegraph is a, um, is a conservative uh, newspaper. <laughs> I, thought, I thought all British newspapers were conservative. Oh, no. No. I'm pretty sure that you've got conservative and then really, really fucking conservative. Nope. And then spying on people, conservative. Nope, 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 nope. We've got the Manchester Guardian. Oh, see? No one cares about those. <laughs> anyway. Listen, mate, you're the one who gave us Rupert Murdoch. It's your I, yeah, fault. Yeah, no. <laughs> we had to get rid of him once, somehow. <laughs> Go over there. I'm... I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that the Guardian is much, much, much more um, liberal than any news, any national newspaper you have. But then your newspapers aren't national, are they? We have one national newspaper, and it's owned by Murdoch. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've gotten way anyway, off track, and we've, we've, we've got enough. Let's we've got enough back. on track stuff to whinge about. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, I was, say, I was, I was actually. Back, Dan. Yeah. Why are we? Why are we arguing and attacking each other when we've got Prudhomme to talk about? Well, you know, this, this, this whole divide-and-conquer tactic clearly does, you know, tend to work sometimes. Look, I'm just going to pause for a second. Well, not pause, but just forgive the sound effects for a moment. I uh, clearly need uh, a shot of medicine to get through the rest of this conversation. All right, hang on. All right, now that I'm licking it up, let's get into it. So... I was quite... My favourite thing about Prudhomme's response, and when I say favourite, I mean the thing that made me want to tear my hair out and murder myself. I'm using favourite in a specific style. <laughs> my my, my favourite thing about Prudhomme's response was I know that people have been trying to talk to the ASO about women's racing for years. I myself have sent emails to the ASO saying, hey, do you think you'll ever have a woman's parry ribeye? And stuff like that. Guess what reply you get? I'm guessing that it's somewhere between a theoretical negative number and a zero. You know what? You may as well just not have wasted your email. They don't, don't pay attention to it. So when Proudhon was saying, he's basically said the uppity women yeah. have gone about this in completely the wrong way. Harriet Harman should have asked to meet us after one of the stages, A, Harriet Harman is a British politician working in our parliament time. If she did a jolly to go to France to watch a day of the race just so she could meet Christian Prudhomme, I don't think that would go down too well. Not to but mention which he goes, it would have been much easier to talk to us directly instead of a petition and finding out by opening your mailbox one morning and you don't know what has happened. 
So, as far as I can tell, what he's admitting is that um, despite being asked about it on multiple occasions, it's not actually registered with him that people are interested in seeing this. But also, he's complaining about them emailing him. Yes, yes. Well, it is onerous, you know. Because I know that they didn't. I know that... And he's complaining about them emailing him. They should have got in touch with him to let him know what they wanted and had a conversation with him. Which, in my view, you know, I mean, forgive me, I, I you know, I've only, you know, I, I, I possibly have lived in a different world from Monsieur Proudhon, but, you know, that's what I thought email was for. No, Sarah, see, you're living in the past. The ASO's a, a forward-facing organisation. He wanted these women to Snapchat him. Because <laughs> then there's definitely no record of his response. <laughs> I would so love to put this guy on Snapchat and then just have everyone send photos of themselves giving him the finger. <laughs> I just... Yeah, I, it, anyway. it, it beggars belief. It honestly beggars belief. But, um, you know, I the, the one positive thing that I kind of feel like we can take away from this, because his response is basically, you know, like, that's the first level. It's quite insulting and ridiculous. The the second thing, because it does actually get worse, is is that he goes, you know, it, it's basically impossible to to bolt a, a women's competition onto a race that's already stretched to capacity, blah blah blah. Well, actually, I don't think you really can say that with any authority when you haven't even bothered to fucking investigate the possibility. So, you know, you know what? Shut the if, fuck if, up, if, Christian. Shut the yeah. fuck up. If they came out and said, and um, we, I've, I've, we've had chats about this with the people, and as I can't remember who you are, sorry, sorry, whoever you are, as someone said, if they, if he did the research, it might have been you. If he did the research and put out a, look, we've looked at this. This is why it's logistically impossible. So instead, we're going to do other things. Uh, maybe involve women in Paris-Nice or Paris-Ribay. Exactly, blah, blah, or, blah. or we're going to create a new race at a different time of the year when there's actually space in the calendar, or whatever. You yeah. know, that would be a legitimate response. But to dismiss out of hand without any research or investigation and without listening to the people, it, you know, it's, well, you know, to use the technical term, fucking disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, I don't generally believe in the term mansplaining, but... When you've got a man telling off little women that it's impossible, and they did, it, and they and they tried to communicate with him wrong, and if they'd have communicated in him a different way, he might have. Because that's the other thing is he's he's simultaneously saying it's impossible, it's impossible, it's impossible, and implying that had they gone about it in a different, more respectful way, that it would somehow yeah. maybe have been possible, which is yeah. you know, yeah, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So you know, fuck him. Yeah. But there is good news about races because another race that's been asked for years and years to have a women's race is the Tour of Britain. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this because, um, as, as you've alluded to, yes, uh, I don't know where you first saw the announcement, but I first saw the announcement on Brian Cookson's blog. That... Oh, I saw, I saw it a while ago because okay. it was in some kind of sports press thing. Now... It hasn't been properly announced yet, and that's partly because Sweet Spot... Okay, so, let me just explain. Sweet Spot run the Tour of Britain, and they also run a couple of other races. The Tour of Britain's name is owned by British Cycling. Sweet Spot's contract to run the Tour of Britain is coming up soon, and very, very interestingly, the ASO is one of the organisations that's trying to get 
the tour of Britain. And there has been some suggestion, some cynical suggestion, that one of the reasons Sweet Spot is finally listening and getting it, setting up a women's race is because it'll make them more attractive as the organiser to run the Tour of Britain. Now, I don't actually care if, that's, if it comes from a cynical place because it seems like they're being really ambitious and excited about this. But I do think it's kind of ironic that if one of the reasons that Sweet Spot is doing the women's tour because they think it'll be more attractive, Prudhomme's standing around and going, it's impossible! You're all a bunch of bastards! Isn't going to go down too well. Well, you know, I, I think... Yeah. Hmm. And especially once, um, especially once you've kind of got the backs up of uh, major, major Emma Pooley, world champion, you know, British world, uh, world, you know, British yep. cycling world champion. Um, you've basically told British women that you do things wrong, and Harriet Harman. Let, let's just let's just diss you. It's not a really good plan. No, but, no. Anyway, Karen, you were saying about seeing it on. Cookson's blog. Well, I saw it on Cookson's blog because I mean the other sort of narrative around women's cycling is that thank fuck it's it's um, an election year, and that's a sentence that nobody in the history of the world ever expected to say. But it's meant <laughs> that um, that in between Pat McQuaid, you know, uh, retroactively changing the rules of the sport so that he can get re-elected. Um, Do not get start about how he's simultaneously Moroccan and Thai these days. Well, no, yeah, but he's still Swiss and Irish. Don't forget. Don't forget. And also, I'm pretty sure he's part Malaysian. So, you know. Anyway, point being that uh, Brian Cookson, who is is running for president in opposition to uh, the esteemed Mr. McQuaid, I'll leave it to you to decide whether that's high or low esteem, but esteemed <laughs> nonetheless, uh, preferably under a steaming pile of... Anyway... Uh, both of these men have suddenly found themselves in a position where they've needed to declare their eternal love uh, and and um, everlasting commitment to women's cycling. And um, and I would like to point out, directly con contradicting things they were saying just last year. Yes, yes, and you know, as little as you know, just over six months ago is still last year. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's I, not like I, this I, is ancient history. These guys I, I, have started to change yeah. their tunes. You know what? I'm actually at that point where if they do change, if they change things for the better, I'm actually going to forgive them. I don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the fact that they said women don't deserve good racing. And Brian Cookson is the head of British cycling. And he's also sat on the UCI federation for the last uh, UCI board for the last four years. So when they say women's cycling isn't developed enough, women don't deserve minimum wages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I say, isn't that proof you haven't done your job right? Yes. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's also, you know, I, I read this, this blog post and, and had several moments where I was like, uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, you're talking again about stuff that you're going to do but have not yet done. Until it's done, yeah. I'm really, you know, quite cynical. But, I mean, yeah. I, I take your point. You're saying that you're willing to forgive if action actually takes place? Yes, yes. I mean, I am. I... I love this sport more than I love holding a grudge. Fair enough, fair enough. I am a strong, powerful man capable of doing more than one thing at a time, Sarah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hold a grudge and love the sport and, you know, maybe not forgive, but, you know, and definitely not forget. I'll still stare squinty-eyed and angry at Cookson whenever I see him. But, yeah, yeah but I I'm take not, your point. If he, if he does actually enact some change and it was interesting to me i was actually commenting to sarah before we started recording that 
Um, whoever's advising Cookson has at least paid attention to the issues and, and read up on them because, you know, everything that he says in there is is pretty um, pretty pretty uh, relevant and up to date and and sort of current with what's going on and and with sort of solid ideas. So, you know, if if it does represent a a genuine move for the better, then, yeah, we have to welcome it. And some of the things he's been suggesting are things that cycling fans have been suggesting for years and years. Mm. For example, have a, you know, I've always, always said in in a minimum wage, bring in a pro-tier level of of women's teams because at the moment you just anyone can register for UCI and there's absolutely no difference between um you know some incredibly small team that's got the 20 grand together to to become you know to register for yep. as a, a pro team and Orica AIS or specialized Lululemon or Argos Shimano yep as much as we love those teams they are operating on a a different level to to many yeah. of the other teams and but while you know, while there are many teams who do a great job at under the present structure of sort of straddling that divide and, you know, and punching well above well above their weight with, um, you know, with what they're able to achieve on very, very limited budgets. I always, I always kind of laugh when Vortas bitches about how Garmin runs on this tiny budget, um, you know, of 10 million, give or take. <laughs> Did you see how much Tinkov? Oh my God, Tinkov is like my bête noire of the Tour de France. Oleg T- Tinkov. I actually thought the Oleg Tinkov Twitter account was a joke. I think everyone did. Um, you know, but, truthfully, but I am. I am. I am assured by some people I trust that it's actually true. And when he first came out in the Tour de France, he was his 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 tweets were obnoxious, full of sexism, homophobia, all sorts of evil stuff, slagging off his own riders, being really nasty you know anyone anyone who disagreed Mm. with him was automatically a fag you know and people i genuinely liked on twitter and some journalists would go isn't tinkoff funny he's such a breath of fresh air like seriously and then shane stokes because i think i only noticed it because shane stokes called called a load of them out and was like no this isn't fucking funny he's this is not what we want. This is not how we want cycling to be portrayed. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly yeah. when when cycling in general is still finding its way out of, you know, the hole that has been dug for it over basically two decades of, you know, rampant doping and scandal after scandal. Um, you yeah. know, it, it's it's just you know this is part of why the the latest McQuaid gambit is so galling is just that it, it's yeah you know it, it, it's you couldn't possibly demonstrate more clearly how out of step they are with with the, yeah, the yeah, reality yeah. everyone yeah, else I, I in a way I, what i hope is that the ioc or other people or or some of the fed or some major federations take a look at what mcquade's doing and call him out and call it out and say no this is not how you run things you know it's it's just it's just embarrasses me to be a cycling fan when this is what you know I mean, my my dad was a massive Lance Armstrong fan. He didn't believe we, he rowed with me for years and years that Lance was doping, and he got really unhappy because he saw a documentary recently and he, he emailed me to apologise for all those arguments over the years. What he was more upset about wasn't so much the doping, but the bullying and the corruption, mm. mm-hmm. and the insistence that other people doped, and the not just oh, I'm not you're not going to be my team, but the actual trying to hound out people who rejected doping from the sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't need another opportunity to be a bully. And I've, yeah. 
yeah. So yeah. you know, so, it, it, it's yeah, it's messy. But you know, on on the positive, I am you know choosing to to take the positive away that women's cycling is definitely on the agenda in these bigger conversations, uh, which is yeah. good because that's where it should be. Um, and as you say, you know, based on on the things that that particularly that Cookson is actually saying, if he follows through on them, then you know we we may actually start to see real change, which yeah, yeah. would be amazing. What's your favourite thing about it? What was your favourite thing in it? Um, honestly, it, it, it's not so much a favourite thing in it because there's genuinely nothing new or, or surprising or or innovative. You know, he. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be critical for its own sake, but he hasn't come up with anything new. He's not suggesting anything that nobody's thought of before. It's just refreshing to finally see someone associated with the UCI, anyone associated with the UCI, actually addressing these issues. Yeah. Is, is mostly what it is, you know. Um, and, and that's why I'm still massively cynical, because it's fucking easy to, to talk. And as much as I appreciate the fact that there is talk, um, you know, and, and yeah, I have to believe that, you know, he's putting himself out there. He's, he's going on public record. This is a, a, you know, a visible platform that's got his name all over it. He can't step away from it in the future that, that you know, hopefully this is the beginning of, of a real change. Yeah. 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 Mm. No, I'm, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I used to be a civil servant. I used to work in, uh, in, in urban regeneration and, uh, you know, on some serious social, social change issues. And, and I, I, I can't suppress my, I really want to see a timeline with concrete actions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, suppress. I think we all do though, don't we? I mean, yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. because we're talking about a lot of things where, you know, the timeline would actually be the first sort of concrete step. I would love, I would absolutely love, um, you know, I would I would go to Morocco, Malaysia and Thailand and secure votes for Brian Cookson at gunpoint uh, if he was willing to actually put out a timeline for introducing uh, the, the appropriate structure in terms of, of team tiers and that sort of thing to get to a minimum wage in women's cycling. Yeah, you know. I mean, someone... I mean, I, I, I take uh, Craig, who we talk to a lot on our blog, had said that, you know, maybe the women should just come up with a plan. And I, I, I completely take his point that the women are the women cyclists. Yeah, it would be useful for them. It's just but the other thing is, is that both McQuaid and Cookson have been involved in very, very senior levels within the UCI. Both of them are having their campaign bankroll to a significant level um, and both are being supported McQuaid is being supported by the UCI press office and the UCI staff. Oh my God, that's not fucking disgusting and disgraceful, is it? Cookson's being, you know, bankrolled through British Cycling. And I think some weird donations um, from the Russians, if you listen to um, McQuaid. So, you know, but, but, but the, you know, they've got, they've both been technically in charge of this sport for years um, they both should have ideas, so you know. Put and them and that is probably my biggest concern: is that you know, to, to state it even more bluntly, they have been the status quo for you know four years at a minimum. You know, better part of a decade in reality, given the the various positions that they've held, either at national or international levels. And yeah. so, you know, a large amount of the current state of women's professional cycling rests on their shoulders 
yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. so as yeah. much as I welcome, you know, discussion, and it, as I said, it looks like Cookson's getting good advice from whoever's, you know, covering this subject area for him, I remain hugely cynical about what will actually transpire as a result of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting back to the Tour of Britain, they're not allowed to call it the Tour of Britain, they're not called it, they want to call it the Women's Tour. Now, they've decided that rather than having the Women's Tour of Britain concurrently, concurrent with the men's, they want to have it separate. I've been doing research on the calendar, and although I am completely behind the Tour NTA's petition, I'm completely 100% behind it, I'm promoting it, I'm celebrating it, my personal view is that I wouldn't want a Women's Tour de France to happen unless the one, two, three, four, five stage, stage races it would clash with are supported elsewhere in the calendar, yeah? Well, that I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, you know, there are, as you point out, you know, five races that inhabit that space already um, in presumably varying states of uh, stability and, and assuredness of being able to continue. Yeah. And They've so, all been going. you know, we, yeah, and, and there's a rich history there. Sorry, I'm not meaning to imply that they're in a, a fragile state, but, but just that when you're dealing with five races at a time, that's, that's quite a lot to, to consider. And yeah. so adding a sixth race and a, and a huge sixth race to that same space doesn't come without its costs in terms of impact on these other races. So, yeah. you know, and actually, yeah, yeah. And if and if what happened was Christian Prudhomme said, "Look, we can't run a women's Tour de France, but we'll run a ten-day women's stage race in May, hmm. for example, or April or June," I'd be really happy with that. Yep. I really would. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be delighted with it. I. Oh, I'd, I'd be thrilled. You know, if, if he turned around and said, you know what, we're going to take the 10 biggest stages of the this year's edition of the tour and run a women's stage race, you know, in June as a as a dress rehearsal for the tour, you know, in terms of cameras and organisation and stuff, mm. I'd still be over the moon, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things... So, anyway, so, so Sweet Spot, who currently run the Tour of Britain... Uh, their guy, their man Guy Elliott, uh, had an interview with Road CC. Now he can't say too much about it yet because they're still negotiating with the UCI about where they can have it. But they want to have it in the south of England. And there was so much in his interview that really made me excited. They want it to be five days. They're not sure whether they want it to be a prologue and four stages or whether it's going to be five road stages. They want it to run Wednesday to Sunday. They've apparently got a deal with a TV company. They can't say which one yet to to to, to show you know to have to have significant TV of it. And the other thing is, they were talking about it in terms of they're very ambitious at the moment, but they actually want it to grow as well. Excellent, uh, because this is one of my pet things. Is um, you know, and and we've touched on this before, but usually after the fact, you know, we've seen. Uh, particularly last year being an Olympic year, the, the tendency for some races, not, you know, please don't misunderstand, I'm not accusing all races or race organisers, but some races of, you know, popping up in, in a, a high interest year, like an Olympic year, and then yeah. disappearing because they haven't, I don't, I, I don't know, you know, in some cases, maybe they only ever intended to run one. Maybe they didn't really plan effectively um, to to uh, you know build the race in, in subsequent years. Maybe they just massively blew their budget on their their enormously ambitious stage race. Um, you know, and <laughs> and so you know there, maybe, there's maybe all sorts of reasons. Organizers, what 
maybe maybe no maybe the race organizers didn't trust the organization the the, the company that owned the na- race name and decided that they'd gently step out and choose not to organize them because they could foresee a future where they'd spent a couple of million dollars and then not being given their sponsorship so you know there's a whole host of reasons why um why things you know have in the past gone wrong and so i think it's great that um that we're hearing from from these guys uh, from Sweet Spot that they're they're not just planning a big event for this year, but that they're, they're planning right from the start to build it, to grow it, to to you know have that long term view, which I think is absolutely essential in terms of establishing a, a really good, meaningful race uh, on the calendar. So yeah, 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 but the interesting thing was in this interview. Guy Elliott alludes to the fact that they've been finding it quite a hot difficult to find a space on the calendar that the UCI will approve to let them have the race. So does that just mean that Guy hasn't handed over enough big bags of cash yet? or No, apparently the UCI are concerned that they don't want the race to clash with other races. Uh, hang on, this is the same UCI that has five stage races going on at the same time in July. Okay. A... When the Giro and the Tour de uh, Tour of California are running at the same time, and as we know in men's racing, races run against each other all the fucking time. Yeah. Yep. But I did a bit more. You know, we were talking last week about some analysis that I did on the mm. women's calendar, and I went back and I did some more. And one of the things I did was to put the women's cycling calendar into a visual format because I I I thought I knew that you know there is a tendency for races to overlap with each other. And I was also quite interested because what my research showed is that sometimes in conversations with people, people suggest that the Giro Rosa is in a bad place because it's opposite the Tour de France, yeah? Yep. Um, And that it's bad for women's cycling and la la la. But what I found is the most stable races are the five in July that are opposite the Giro, opposite the Tour. Interesting. Interesting. I, I do have a theory that part of this is because it cycling is in the air and so it's much more media friendly to kind of talk about say you're in germany or 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 so or you're suggesting Italy. you're suggesting that perhaps there's a little bit of a halo effect uh based yeah, on I the think... the global interest of an event so large as the tour which draws in millions of fans from around the world who may not always follow cycling and while their interest is peaked they are more likely to also view other races yes no yes i know oh I that know. but sarah that kind of logic leads us to believe that you know putting candy bars at the checkout at the supermarket results in more sales of candy bars and we know that doesn't work so <laughs> or if you're in the uk at the moment having alcohol all over the fucking supermarkets everywhere and no minimum prices so so <laughs> so supermarkets can sell alcohol at a massive loss results in results in you know in 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 inappropriate drinking i know yeah hang on Could anyway. you just give me a, a list of names and addresses of these supermarkets oh what so that you can do some inappropriate drinking yourself <laughs> um, there, if you ever come, is there any other if, kind <laughs> if you ever not from you if you ever come to britain i'm going to have to keep you away from the kind of you know two liter bottles of cider that you buy for less than a quid oh god that sounds like poisonous Oh. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Let, let's just say I don't think they're related to apples. Yeah, pretty sure there's nothing in there but 
you know, boot polish and an apple air freshener. Industrial waste, I was thinking. But, yeah. you know. Anyway, mm. in July. So what I looked at when I looked at the calendar. Okay. Yep. So there's 18. Um, and, and I looked. I'm, 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 I'm unapologetically... A, not including the races like the Tour of Qatar, which start, you know, which run in January and February, and B, um, not including the the races that run in October and November because you know they're they're kind of outliers. Yep. And so as look, so if I took the racing calendar as starting in February and ending at Worlds, yeah. Okay. Yep. I looked at it, and there are eighteen top level women's stage races, and I count that as two point two and two point one. Yeah. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm not including the ones in places like El Salvador and stuff like that, just because they, because I'm talking about what's actually feasible for European teams to race. Yeah. Okay. So that's my caveat. I need to start doing this without caveating and just start presenting it as if it's fact. So 18, 18 races, um, 17 in Europe, one in China. I included the China one just for, just for a laugh out of those 17 stage races. 11 of them clash with each other. And in July, five races, one of them, the one in the middle, um, so you have uh, the the Giro Rosa and Brittany, you have the Czech race, uh, you have Turingen, and you have Limousin, yeah? Yep. Now, I don't mind that races clash because if you have, as in July, two 2.1 races and three 2.2 races. This means that there is a purpose for small teams to go to the 2.2 races, because I don't think it's... Because one of the things that is quite difficult about women's racing is finding races where your young development riders can go and ride where they're not completely beaten by Emma Johansson, Georgia Bronzini, Mariana Voss, Kirsten Veald, etc., etc., etc. So, you know, so I don't have a problem with races clashing. What I do have a problem with... And then in August, there are three stage races, two World Cups... And two of the stage races clash. In September, there are three stage races. Two of them clash. So when I hear that Sweet Spot are being told that they can't have spaces in May because it might clash with another race, I get really, really angry. That's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, look, maybe, I'm, maybe I've wandered too far out into conspiracy theory land, but... I mean, do you think that some of this pushback has something to do with the fact that this would be a, a showcase race for Cookson to tout? Oh, God. You know what? You're probably fucking right. It just... I, I mean, I've got no evidence to, to, you know, support that as a claim, so I'm asking the question. Oh. I'm not saying that that's what is, but I, I just... I can't help but wonder if that's a factor. I haven't even thought about that, Dan. I hadn't even thought about that. Fuck. I think you're probably right. I mean, yeah, I mean, ugh, fuck. It's the only thing I can think of that sort of seems to fit because, yeah. as you say, there are there are huge gaps in the calendar at, at various times, but also there's a, a rich history on, you know, the men's and women's side of the sport of races sitting alongside each other in different parts of the continent or different parts of the world, you know, yeah. drawing drawing different... Uh, teams and obviously, um, particularly in the UK, I mean, there is no other race in the UK um, of this nature to no, to no fill to this gap. So, you know, one of the key things for this race will be to draw British teams who most likely would not have travelled to the continent to race anyway. Yeah, but also, do you know when the last UCI race was in Britain? 
2005 there used to be a World Cup uh -huh. for one year only. Right. You know, Interesting. it's like, I, I hadn't even, oh God, you've just depressed me even more. Yeah, I mean, of course, why would, why would, why would he, yeah. I mean, oh, so depressing. But it's, it's fascinating because the other thing is, is that what this, so I looked at the calendar in terms of stability and it's really, really, the other thing that's really interesting, and I went back, I've been looking at the calendar from 2000, the UCI rank calendar from 2006 to 13, and I start at 2006 because that's how far the UCI's timetable records go back. Okay. Because I, you know, otherwise you kind of end up, it's just, it's just, it's just too much work for someone who's not yeah, being paid yeah. to do it. Yeah. But a lot of the races used to overlap with each other anyway. So um, there was one weekend where you used to have the Giro Trentino, which is a mountainous race in the Trentino region of Italy, generally, and the Rabosters Oisha Islanden, which is a flat race. And actually being able to split the peloton up to have, you know, to have, so, so you're giving the opportunity for different kinds of riders. You're giving the opportunity for different levels of riders. If you split the peloton so that the star teams are in different places, it opens up more space for the other teams to have a go and for riders to develop. Mm. You know, it's I love the sport. I love the fact that Mariana Voss and Enya Hansen are so good and so strong. But what we really want is a lot more diversity. Mm, mm. And also because, it, as you say, it does. That's the kind of that's the kind of breakup of races that gives you know the small team that's really strong you know, in, in the flat sprinty races, a chance to, to really compete and have a shot at at disrupting the bigger teams or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know. So yeah. so it also ensures that the quality of racing we see at each event is actually that much more dynamic because there are more people or more teams and riders with an opportunity to influence the outcome of the results. Yeah. Or, or you know, or, or a small, and it also allows the idea of a develop of development squads or mm. development riders. So, um, you know, some teams would put two teams each. Uh, so, I think Savello back in the day would put a climbing team in Trentino and a sprinting team in uh, in Rabostere. Yep. And that again is great for your domestiques who don't get the chance because if you've got a roster of fifteen riders, but these races are only six days long. And because because you're you know you've decided that actually in July we're going to ride the Giro in Turingen, uh, in August we're going to ride the Route de France, in September we're going to ride well we've got the choice between um, the uh, we've got the choice between uh, the Bowls Ladies Tour and whatever the other tour is against it I think it's against Lardesh, and yeah. then Toscana is just two days later, you know you've actually got more chance of putting your full roster and riding your full riders and letting your riders develop anyway go if you want to see all of this there's links on our site prowomenscycling.com or you can go to podium cafe under the sections if you hit women there's a whole section which kind of clusters all the interesting women's news together Indeed. And speaking of uh, of things that have made Sarah a little bit depressed this week, I don't want to drag you all the way down this particular dark black hole, uh, but I do want to make mention of the fact that uh, Sarah put up what I think was in some ways a quite brave uh, post on our site, um, just highlighting some of the issues that that uh, she has encountered and thought about a lot in terms of how they relate to cycling in general and also to women's cycling um, that that tend to go unspoken or unmentioned uh, anywhere in the sport. And I think it's, I think it's well worth the read and uh, we have had some very interesting comments uh, from people already and would welcome more 
comments and and viewpoints on on any of those issues uh just to just to give you the highlights you know we're talking about things like the the you know lack of of cultural and ethnic diversity apparent you know um diversity in in the professional pelotons and uh you know things like the awkward stories that you occasionally hear about uh the relationship between team managers and and riders who are in a somewhat vulnerable situation on some of the smaller women's teams or or those sorts of things you know there's a whole host of of issues and and things there that you know sort of hover around on the fringes of the sport but don't get talked about very much and i think it was a a very ambitious and and brave thing to draw them together and and just shine a bit of a light on them so thank you sarah for doing that thank you um there are a couple of things i just wanted to mention we've been talking one of the things i was talking about is why cycling is so white and especially in the context of comparing the profile i think it's something like um 14% 14% of the British population is uh, counts as black and minority ethnic. Uh, it's 11% are black and Asian, 3% are mixed race or other non-black and Asian um, ethnic, minority, ethnic you know, non-white groups. Yep. And one of the things some people have been saying is, oh, yeah, but the reason, oh, don't know, the reason there's no black kids in cycling is because it's expensive. And I was like, well, I don't buy that personally because I see, I live in Bristol, which is a town in the southwest. It's possibly the sixth biggest town in England. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't live in one of the more diverse areas. I, you know, it's, 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 you know, I don't live in the most diverse areas. But when I go out on my bike or if when I'm walking down the road, I don't see this segregation where only white people cycle. Mm. And I don't, especially when you see kids, you know, I live down the road from a skate park. It's not like um, a BMX park. It's not like this stuff is only for white people in real life. Yeah. But it's also very, very interesting because especially people who are defending British cycling by going, oh, yeah, but, you know, um, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I also, having grown up in southeast London and, you know, got friends and people I've worked with and stuff like that, know full well that it's not the case that every black person in Britain is poor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. I mean, there are a lot of socioeconomic reasons. There's a lot of, you know, where you'll mm. find, uh, you know, where there's lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of issues about why, in general, you could say black people are more likely to be poor. Well, even but, even if that was true, I would find it difficult to accept in a in a nation like Britain, where you know, similar to here in Australia, we have talent identification programs and institutions that are literally built around you know finding finding young people who are you know show promise in the sport and developing that talent you know yeah yeah and and if we're accepting if 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 we're if if if, and i don't accept it if we're accepting that cycling is a super expensive sport to get into i actually don't expect don't accept that at a youth level um, I completely understand that at the Tour de France level, having a having a very 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 posh bike is a is is a massive advantage. I don't think that time trialing. Don't accept it at a youth level. Mm. Um, but one of the, but if we are accepting, if we do accept that, then we're basically saying British cycling is only targeting rich kids. And if you're poor and white or black, there's. They don't want you because you can't afford to do it. So it's a bit of a devil's choice, really. I mean, you, you're either copping to there needing to be an issue to deal with some level of institutionalised, even if it's subconscious, sort of um, racist tendency or some sort of classist tendency. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and one of the things is is that like along along the women, there's there's a joke. I have a joke about how different nations get into cycling. Yeah, because there's various different routes, and one of the routes um, people get into cycling is I used to be a runner, and my knees gave out, so I started cycling. If you're Dutch, the route is one of the routes is I used to be a speed skater, and I started cycling as fitness training, and then I realised I was faster on the bike than I was on the skates, so I swapped over. Yep. In Britain, the kind of narrative is British cycling came to my school and I had the option of getting out of maths if I wanted to try out. So I tried out and they picked me up on the talent squad. <laughs> but what, I'm yeah. I mean, what I'm wondering is, does this mean that the kind of schools they're going, because you know, it could be, you know, like there's the kind of, and I don't mean it as benign, but a lot of people think it's benign. There's the kind of stuff where that kind of institutionalized subconscious racism where people aren't actively trying to exclude black kids, but what they are looking for is people who remind them of them. Mm. You know, that kind of group thing. And we see it all the time in, um, in things like employment and stuff where, you know, you, where, you, where, you're, where you're subconsciously want to include people who remind you of you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it could be that, or mm. it could be that the schools that they've gone to are the schools in predominantly white areas. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, either way, you know, we're using Britain here as one example, but the the fact of the matter is that, you know, this isn't an issue um, related to one country or one federation alone. You know, it's, it's, it's something to do with the sport. And I, I think, actually, to balance this, um, for people who haven't yet had a chance to read Sarah's post, I uh, should also point out that we're not... Um, ignoring or, or in any way decrying the the advances of the sport in terms of globalization and extension into um, you know parts of the world like Africa and, and South America and that sort of thing. But the fact that diversity does actually already exist in societies of of the the nations already heavily participating in cycling. So how is that yeah. diversity not represented more accurately across those uh, those nations? Yeah, and so, yeah. I, I, I mean, the other thing, the other thing that I've had conversation about this week is I also mentioned about the lack of openly gay men in men's cycling and linking it to um, a lot of the young British cyclists use gay as an insult. Um, men, men cyclists will use gay as an insult, and I've you know you have to unfollow them because it's just oh shit. And then you have Tinkov, who's a team, you know, who's a massive major sponsor, being vilely, overtly homophobic. Mm, like you mm. know, there's no excuse for it. And I was having a conversation with someone who's going, well, I don't really care if, if riders announce their sexuality. I think you should keep their sexuality separate. And I'm like, but that's complete nonsense because it's not that straight men in the peloton don't announce their sexuality. They announce it all the damn time. Well, they... I mean, holy shit, last year we, we all spent a great deal of time enjoying the fight between, you know, Mrs. Wiggins and Mrs. Froome. I mean, for fuck's sake, I, I, I would dare suggest that that pretty much any fan of men's cycling would be able to name uh the mother of cav's kid you know yeah. like like yeah it's it's as much a part of things as anything else is yeah i mean you know when you win you don't just win a race and a prize and a big bag of money you win kisses from pretty girls and you know mm. and 
And, and, and oh, how cool would that be on the podium if it was like a user's choice? Like you got yeah. to go up, and there was a there was a like this would this would so so bring to light the the kind of weird sexual politics of the whole thing anyway, where you've just got this smorgasbord of models, and you get to pick and choose which ones you want to to give you your prizes and kiss you. You know. So you could have like a range of different like um, so you've got men and women, different body yeah. types, different hair, you know, different exactly looks. different body types. You know, even gingers would be allowed under this system. Um, you were meant to laugh, so I didn't sound like such an asshole at that point. But okay, um, you know, all sorts of ethnic diversity represented, and um, and you get to you get to pick and choose. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and as I said, I mean, I mentioned in my post, um, one of the things I loved about our, 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 our drink was that they, in their profiles, they had the men and the women's at the same time. And they had openly, they had um, Trixie Warwick, openly gay rider, who, but when they had the Q&As, one of the Q&As with each of the riders, they asked them standard questions. They said, what would your ideal man slash woman be? And if the rider said, oh, you know, it's my girlfriend, she's amazing, she does this, that and the other. They changed the question to what would your ideal woman be? But if you didn't specify a gender, if you said, oh, you know, funny, they have to, they have to love cycling, um, I'd really like them to be taller than me, then they left it as man slash woman. And I really loved that because it, it opened, it A, didn't isolate the fact that they had, hey, look, this is an openly gay rider. But B, it left open the possibility that every rider could be gay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I think and, and I think this is the only fair response. I think until until it's clarified otherwise we have to assume that um that all male writers are gay, don't we? Isn't that the seems like the only fair response? Well, I, just, I just think we no, I just think we have to assume that it's a possibility. Okay. You know? Okay. And and I I do worry about the Peloton because, you know, I worry about it. And the reason I wrote this post you know, I'm talking about eating disorders and you know, sexual exploitation and not getting paid. Mm. Not getting paid. Holy shit. Um, it's because I love this sport. And I was in two minds about writing this post, Dan, because, I, you know, the sport's in quite a lot of difficulties as it is. And sometimes I feel like about this, about mentioning, you know, doping amongst the women's side because it's struggling and struggling. And on the one hand, you don't want to be throwing stones. But on the other hand, I love this sport. I want it to be better. I want it to be open. I want, you know, I don't, it really hurts me, the idea that out there, there are are young black kids who would look at cycling and see it's an all-white environment and it's not for them and they wouldn't even consider that they had an option to be racing there. Mm. Or there might be, you know, or you're a young gay kid and you're looking at the men's peloton and you're looking at the kind of culture of using gay as your worst insult and, you know, team owners and so team sponsors using gay as their insult of choice and you think well that's not a safe place for me and then you look at that on top of the armstrong bullying you know the kind of the kind of yeah the the kind of pat mcquade corruption and you'd think actually you know i'm also very good at running well you know it's it's interesting actually because i think this goes you know coming at it from a slightly different angle this is one of the sort of I don't want to say myths because you know there's evidence to suggest that it's true, but that the 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 sort of stereotypical fan of cycling does tend to be from this this um, you know socioeconomic grouping of people who are better educated, more likely to work in a profession and earn a uh, an upper middle class level income and be well off and consider themselves you know quite progressive and open minded and advanced. 
you know, if you were to walk up to almost any cycling fan and, and ask them, you know, are you sexist, are you homophobic, are you racist, you know, they would probably react with a certain amount of shock and outrage. So it highlights, again, a serious disconnect between the way the sport is representing itself and conducting itself and that of the the people who, you know, like yourself, are passionate about the sport, participate in the sport oh, in no. so many different I, ways. I, I do disagree with you because I have been... I mean, I nowhere near as much as Catherine Bettine, who runs the Le Tour Entier, uh, uh, uh Twitter petition. account, yeah, and petition, yes. But, but I've had... I had some pretty comedy resp- outraged responses that all I was doing was sharing, for example, the T- CNN article about the women's tour. And, and I had some people frothing at the mouth, absolutely frothing at the mouth at how disgusted and horrified they were that women wanted to ride the Tour de France. Like The funniest one was this one guy. He, I, There was two tweets that he included, me, Catherine, CNN, every CNN address again, saying, no one cares! When are you going to learn that no one cares? And I went on to his... I had a look on his Twitter stream, and there he was tweeting Emma Pooley, you know, three tweets, no one cares! Just shut up! Just shut up! No one cares! And I'm like, yeah, that's brilliant. Like, you know, the response to something you don't care about mm, is mm. to not care about it. The response to something you care about is not to yell at people and try and silence them. Yes. It's really, really interesting. Yes, so clearly he does care. And, you know, I had another, there's another person who said, oh, yeah, but I think, you know, there may be over 85,000 people who've signed the petition, but, you know, British Cycling's membership is 67,000. And I was like, I don't get your point. But apparently, because the petition has got more, spon- more, 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 more signatures yep. in a couple of weeks than British Cycling has got members after a significant campaign, that means the petition is invalid? That does... The, the person who said that does understand that the internet goes outside of Britain, right? Well, I think his point was that it should be much more because than the British Cycling membership, even though it is. Oh, right, right. And um, then another, then there's what? someone else who's saying, there's someone else saying, oh yeah, but I think a lot of the people who sign the petition basically don't know what they're talking about and they don't know how complex it is. I'm like, I don't believe that for a moment. Mm. The petition's got lots of signatures, but they're all stupid people. Well, it sounds like people who don't understand that there's the difference between believing in the right rightness of something and the principle of something, uh, being able to exist alongside the understanding that it's not necessarily easy to achieve, but that doesn't take away from the validity of aiming to achieve it. I mean, this you is, know. I, I guess I guess I am more and more thinking that just because I, you know, you see, there's so many things, and someone was saying in response to things like the racism, the racism stuff, that solutions would be very hard, with an implication that so we shouldn't be aiming for it. Yeah. So yeah, let's just give up and let's not try. What the yeah, I mean, fuck? Like seriously, man. If you think that, then yes, please, by all means, do leave cycling in as quickly as possible, while the rest of us stick around and make things better, one thing at a time. But I have seen other. I have seen other good news. Well, I was going to say you better have something good for us to finish the show on because we've got to fucking come back from this. Okay, United Healthcare is a men's team, men's domestic team in the USA, and they're launching a big women's team next year. Awesome, awesome. Um, is that um, a? Is it a? So it's a US domestic team. I think it's a US domestic team. I okay. can't see whether the. I mean, I don't. You know. You know what? I don't care. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, it doesn't great. matter either way. It's great news. It's yeah. Yeah. 
really good news. Um, in the UK, if you are a woman in the UK who has ever taken in part in sports, or if you're in the UK and are involved in or interested in women's sports in any way, there's a UK parliamentary inquiry coming up, um, opening on the 1st of August, about women in sports. And anyone can, um, can, can submit their views and their issues and stuff like that. They're looking at a range of things from, um, from media, from why no, there's no, so little women's sport in the media. They're looking, at also, uh, they're looking at participation levels. They're looking at girls' sports in school. And I'm really excited by this. Um, I, I was reminded of the Australian similar thing that happened last year. Yep, yep. And that came out with some really interesting recommendations, you know, mm. along the including every national, every Australian sporting body that receives government funding has to include women at all levels, including on the governance level. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely essential. And I, you know, I, honestly, I, I can't tell you how much I believe in in that being vital to yeah. the the long term growth and success of any sport. You yeah, know, I mean, it, anyone. Yeah. One of my arguments about diversity, and I think I might have said this, oh my God, I might have said this already today, but my big argument about diversity is it's not just socially right. It's not just that everyone pays taxes, so everyone should have, everyone should be represented. It's also that diverse backgrounds, having a range of different people with different experience and backgrounds and ideas makes whatever you're doing better. And quite often more fun. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, if you only have a group of people from the same background mm. sitting at five of them sitting in the same same room, you basically got an echo chamber. Oh God, it's so you boring. Have... I couldn't do that. I could not do that. And Ooh. you want to have arguments. You want to build things stronger. If you're only looking at people, if you're only making cycling applicable to rich kids, you're missing out on a shed load of talent. And you know, mm. especially ironic given that it's like you know people talking about being economic when it was a working class sport for so long. You know. Um, uh, Sean Kelly uh, famously talking about how he got into cycling because otherwise it was potato farming. Yeah, or the number of guys who escaped coal mines or whatever else, you know, yeah, by yeah, riding, yeah. riding their bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I really like that parliamentary inquiry. Um, cool. It's open from the first. It's going to be an online inquiry, an online submission. It's open from the first of August to the sixteenth of September. That if you've got relatives in the UK, feel free to uh, to send them a, a helpful handout telling them how to fill it out too. Um, yes. Yes. Um, speaking of women's cycling on TV. Uh, no, it was the the UK cycle show women's special, wasn't it? Yeah, um, there's a magazine program on ITV4 called The Cycle Show, which is an hour-long magazine program. You know, so it's very kind of uh, upbeat, promotey, looking across the range of different cycling, mm -hmm. um, British-based. And yes, and they always have women, and they always have uh, make sure they mention women's sport. But yesterday was the women's cycling edition. Nice. And how was and it? They, it was great. They included Joanna Rousel, uh, Laura Trott, Hannah Barnes. They included uh, Helen and Stefan Wyman, your man crush. Well, Helen's not my man crush, just to be clear. I love Helen, don't get me wrong, but she's not my man crush. Steph, Helen on the other hand, the, totally my man crush. 
Helen has the longest legs in the world and she's incredibly natural and brilliant and funny on TV. My hope is that people like just go, oh, she's interesting. Let's get her to commentate. <laughs> so um, if you're in the UK, the cycle show is archived on the ITV player. If you're not in the UK, I'd never suggest that it might have appeared on torrents or on any torrents or anything like that. But, you know, um, I'll yeah. admit it, Sarah, you don't even know what a torrent is. No, no, I've never heard of I, I, I think they're like waterfalls. Yeah, yeah, but only really, really fast, dangerous ones. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, what else have you seen this week that uh, you liked? Look, it's, look, I'm not exactly sure how to frame this. Um, you know, as... Uh, um, you know, like I'm not trying to be a downer. I thought it was really beautiful and, and kind of sweet. But uh, C.J. Farkerson's uh, tweet earlier, uh, well, I only saw it today, um, of the photo taken from uh, the Giro Rosa, uh, which was dug very, very Turingen. deep. Uh, Turingen, Turingen, sorry, yes, you're right, Turingen. Um, but dug very, very deep to take this pick. So emotional. My 2007 crash, only 200 meters away. First time race has passed here since. And uh, and it's the photo of the the race going past the the Amy Gillett uh, memorial. Yeah. Mm, mm. So that was a, a special thing for me. I think you know, like to be completely honest, I feel a particular affinity for that just because Amy was an Australian writer, and you know the foundation is is so active, and and I'm a, a big supporter of of that organisation here, and and believe in their mission. Um, so I think that was particularly poignant for me, but that was something that I really liked. And I guess, you know, on, on the, the slightly more upbeat thing, there's been some great uh, great photos come out from from the racing recently. Yeah, um, CJ, um, CJ Farkerson, if you don't already follow her, she has womenscycling.net, which was the original women's cycling website. Um, she, take, she, she basically, if you see a team photo, it's most likely taken by CJ. Um, she had... And she also has CJ photo, spelt C-J-F-O-T-O, um, her, her website where her photos are. But I also really liked Anton Voss's slideshow of photos he took from the Giro Rosa. And that's, yes, indeed, from the Giro Rosa, because, you know, I get races confused all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anton is, if you don't know Anton, Anton's Mariana's big brother. Um, and he's a big, he's, he's kind of, he works for a photo agency called Corvos, nothing to do with actual Mariana and Anton Voss, it's just a coincidence, but yeah, uh, he works for Corvos, and he takes a lot of photos that you see, um, for example, on the Rabobank team pages, and yeah, he's, mm. and obviously has a special relationship with the riders, because everyone knows him, um, yeah. Yeah, and so that was that was some cool photo stuff. Now, the other thing um, that that you tried to pitch to me as like the super most British thing that you could do, um, because and, and it's kind of related to the the ITV uh, cycle show, is um, is buy a mug to have a nice cup of tea. But I have to admit, I'm not a big tea drinker. Um, I'm assuming that this is a multi-use mug that will also work yes. equally well for coffee. And perhaps, or whiskey. Perhaps whiskey, yes. Yeah, or um, wine, if you'd run out of wine glasses. Really? No, I don't I don't think I'm uncouth enough to drink wine out of a mug. I think you're uncouth enough to drink wine out of a bottle. I think that's less uncouth than out of a mug. Really? I, I have drunk wine out of a bottle before, on a dance floor. Technically it was champagne, but still. Mm-hmm. Were you by any chance dancing with a beautiful woman at the time? I know this story. He absolutely was. <laughs> Technically, it may have been two, but yes. 
Anyway. <clears throat> Past glories relived. Let's move on. Uh, tell yeah, us more about the mug. <laughs> if you want to um, buy a mug, it's it's there's a mug make, uh, that's being that's at fourteen quid. Uh, you can buy it and help support Matrix Fitness Racing Academy. Um, it was put together by a fan who makes who's who's kind of got a little online shop, um, and he's you know make, put, make, makes mugs and other things, and he's got well, he's worked in conjunction with Matrix, and yeah, it's sweet. It's got a little cartoony girl cyclist on it. If you want one, please buy one. It helps support um, Matrix and supporting women's cycling. Woohoo! Um, Oh, I wanted to mention Sword Panda's blog. I know. I, you know, one of these weeks we will actually make it through an entire cast without talking about Sword Panda, and then I think we'll both be sad. So, you know, probably not anytime soon. But anyway, this week, um, now Caroline was out um, doing stuff during the week. Yeah, she's Caroline is a full is a full time bike mechanic, but she was moonlighting as mountain bike rider Maxine Philby's. Uh, pit mechanic and pit crew at a British enduro mountain bike race and she has a nice little blog about describing it and I am always always will always love reading backstage you know blogs from backstage at races so I was really happy mm. not just because it's Caroline but because it's an interesting story and I you know I love I love it I you know I yep. if I had my way you know all the backstage pass videos and team videos mm. I just I'd actually just watch a whole series where they didn't even talk about the riders. They just talked about the soigneur and the manager <laughs> and the DS and all, the cooks. All the stories. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cycling gossip show, basically. No, no, just, just like following how it actually, what hmm. it takes to go into work. You know, what riders, you know, what following riders before and after the races, how. Yeah. I, I just like those stories. Yeah. Cool, um, cool. On, if you speak Spanish or know anyone who does... On El Peloton, there's a, a profile in Spanish of Lucy Garner. Mm. No habla español, that's okay. Go ask a friend who does speak Spanish to read it yes, to but, you. Yeah, and I just saw this on Twitter last night. Emma Pooley, oh, I can't cycle because I'm finishing my PhD, has been finding some really amusing distraction techniques, just competed in the Ironman Zurich, Came fifth in the professional women's category, which is bloody good because Holy you know she's Holy shit! Yeah, because she's finishing her PhD. Um, yeah. Can, can you just answer for me? You know, on behalf of of cycling officials everywhere, can you just verify the details of this race? So, the swim took about an hour. Fuck. The bike ride took about five hours. No, that's all and right. And the run. And the run took about three hours. Holy shit. Okay, all right. So follow-up question, again, on behalf of particularly white male older uh, cycling administrators um, who may or may not come from a small set of islands to the west of continental Europe. Um, how many times did her uterus fall out in the course of this race? You know what? I haven't actually seen any report that any women's uterus, uteri, fell out of, fell out during these races. I presume triathletes have special underwear to avoid that happening. Okay, right. So now, what you're saying is that that large, physically demanding endurance sports can actually be competitively uh, undertaken by women. Yeah, and and hmm. on the same courses, because one of the things is if you're a triathlete or or you're a runner, or you're a rower, or any of those sports, they look at cycling and go, what the flying fuck? Because pretty much every sport, the men and the women compete on the same courses. Yes, of course the women are going to be slower than the men, 
But that doesn't make it any less exciting or any less interesting, you know? Well, particularly so when they're not actually racing the men, when they're racing each other. Like, exactly, yeah, exactly. It's and, such and, a know, stupid argument, honestly. And triathletes. So, so hmm. triathletes, I have it on Twitter all the time. Every, well, not all the time, but every couple of weeks, some triathlete will go, hang on, men and women aren't allowed to race the same distance. I go, no. Hmm. They're limited to 100, you know, 130 kilometres. But but in Ironman, men and women compete on the same distance, and you know different age groups compete on the same distance. I go, yep. yeah, I know, and they, that makes no sense. And I go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's okay, I know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like it's just it's just yeah. Holy shit! Well, I guess I guess um, before we we can't finish on that slightly ranty note. Uh, how about we how about we take a quick glance ahead? Uh, we've got the Route de France starting soon, don't we? Yeah, the Route de France is an eight-day race. Which is awesome, because we do love a good dose of stage racing. Yeah. Um, I, I want to stress, the Route de France is not a race that you could say is an equivalent to Women's Tour de France, because the course is, Dim Space very kindly mapped the profiles, and yeah, the course isn't the most exciting one in the world, but it's an eight-stage race. Brilliant. Hurrah. That's, um, is, so we have the Route de France, which starts this week. And if you're in London on on the third of August, go and see the Prudential GP because it's a set of it's got a crit. It's got a really it's going to have a really exciting women's crit with teams like Orica coming over to race the best of the British crit scene, um, or Orica and Wiggle. And then on the sixteenth and eighteenth, or it might be eighteenth and twenty first of August, we have the Open to Swedvogorda World Cups. Excellent, excellent. I do enjoy those races. I do. Oh, I love the Gorda. So mm. good. Mm. So, so good. Well, excellent. Um, yeah. In that case, I guess uh, we'll, we'll uh, join you all back here again next week to discuss uh, the latest events in cycling and racing and also to, um, to find out whether or not, um, you know, Pat McQuaid's actually changed the rules so that the UCI president can only be um, a weird old Irish guy who lives in Switzerland or something like that. I don't know. Who I knows? I saw a really interesting tweet where someone said it would be a bit more honest if they banned candidates with beards. <laughs> I know, like, really, really, I mean, it should be like um, that, you remember that episode of The Simpsons where they had the No Homers Club? Yeah. And, and, and Homer rocks up to the door and he's like, but Homer, what's his name's there? And they're like, yes, it's No Homers, we're allowed one. <laughs> so... <laughs> The No Brian's Club or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can't. Yeah. You know, anyone with a letter, anyone with a, anyone with like whose surname begins with C. Yeah, yeah. Banned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway on that cheerful note uh thank you for for listening uh feel free to tell us why we're wrong on twitter uh or in the comments or anywhere else you can find us until then uh you know drink deeply drink well drink often bye bye <laughs>